2: This episode includes a discussion of death by suicide. If you are in crisis, help is available. Please call, text, or chat with the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988, or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741 741.
0: I've always been obsessed
2: with one hit wonders. The kind of songs that
0: dominate the airwaves, as if out of nowhere, and then disappear just as quickly. During my adolescence in the 90s, I'd stay up until midnight, entranced by the VH1 countdowns and Time Life compilation infomercials to catch just a bit of these fleeting novelties. Most of them were reduced to gimmicky dance crazes or pop culture punchlines. Some received an even worse fate, getting lost in the annals of music history. I thought I'd heard them all. Until one day, while scrolling through a clickbaity list of 1960s one-hit wonders, I stumbled upon Dominique. In a remarkably fertile time for oddball hits, this one somehow escaped my obsession with the genre. Just what was this song? Dominique. In
1: the fall of
0: 1963, the song, a jaunty folk tune, sung entirely in French by a Belgian nun, about a 13th-century saint, became an unlikely cultural phenomenon. Some 60 years later, however, it's hardly remembered at all. You'd think a number one hit for the singing nun, whose real name was Jean-Paul Marie Deckers, though she went by the nickname Janine, would be a permanent fixture on oldies playlists, especially considering its larger-than-life legacy and the tragic and untimely demise of the artist behind it. Hold tight. I'll get to that part of the story. The more I learned about it though, the more obsessed I became. Not only was the song playfully quaint and beautiful, but the story behind it was rich with cultural meaning. Dominique was representative of the rapidly changing times, musically, spiritually, and politically. Embodying so much change became too much for its creator to bear. This one hit wonder deserves more recognition given its unique and complex impact on the pop culture landscape, as does its singer, who long to transcend the song. My name is Jessica Gentile, and you're listening to Have You Heard This One? A show of stories from the back pages and hidden corners of music history. I'm a journalist. His work has appeared in The Atlantic, Pitchfork, and New York Magazine's Vulture. And I'm a librarian. So naturally my research began with digging through the very few primary texts available on this subject. There's the Singing Nun's recordings and performances, of course, but I also stumbled upon the 2012 edition of D.A. Chadwick's biography, The Singing Nun Story, The Life and Death of Soir Soiré. Apologies for my poor pronunciation, I don't speak French. The biography contains copious excerpts from Decker's diaries, journals, and letters. These personal accounts lend great insight into the trauma and tumult that made up the life of one of popular music's most peculiar, unlikely, and fleeting stars. The story of Jean-Paul Marie Deckers starts way before she became the singing nun. Born in 1933 in a suburb of Brussels, Belgium, her family owned a pastry shop. She attended Catholic school starting at a young age Her family life was incredibly difficult and often abusive. She was frequently the victim of her mother, Gabrielle Dennis's volatile mood swings. Her mom was jealous of Janine and saw her as a competitor for her husband, Janine's father's love. As Janine recounted in one early journal entry, Mom
1: seemed to fear that I loved my father too much.
0: She seemed to sometimes want to pull me into
1: her comp against him.
0: Janine's parents also had a great disdain for her tomboyish impulses and desire for independence. In 1948, in a bid to rid their household of their rebellious daughter for a longer stretch of time, her parents enrolled Janine in the Belgian Catholic Guides, an all-girl scout group. Her participation in the troop only honed her free-spirited, nature-loving personality even more going into her teenage years. She thrived in the environment, participating in outdoor group activities where she was valued for her contributions. Her childhood experiences are imperative to understanding the decisions she made and the mental health challenges she faced into adulthood. After witnessing her parents' loveless and tumultuous relationship, Jeanine felt no desire to get married her own disastrous and short-lived teaching career further cemented that impulse. Although the experience would allow her to meet a significant person, Anne Pesher, a scout camp student, 13 years younger than Janine, who would eventually become her partner in life and death. Yes, the context in which they met and their age gap are both very creepy. Janine turned to the Catholic church in search of an autonomous life. As she wrote in one of her journal entries, Perhaps I became a nun
1: because in my day, little girls had two options, either grow up and marry a daddy facsimile or become a nun. Being a bright child and knowing subconsciously that I was gay, what could I do?
0: For a queer woman coming of age in the 1950s, with few other desirable options, the church offered a sort of freedom — well, sort of — within its rigid hierarchical structure. Thanks to her experiences with the Belgian guides, she had a mostly positive association with the church as a place that offered refuge and autonomy. Those ideas, however, would be challenged and dismantled by the harsh realities of convent life. After researching various religious sects, she signed on for a three-month trial period with the Dominican Order at Fishermont in 1959, taking the name Sister Luke Gabrielle. She was drawn to this order because of its philosophies, which emphasized education and truth seeking. Given her parents' disapproval, she turned to her grandmother to loan her the fifteen hundred dollar deposit required to join the order. Deckers wrote in her journal
1: I can now say that my entry into Fichermont in September 1959 embodied an absolute will to develop myself, to put an end to the authoritarianism of my mother, to live better than her in an ideal where she could not reach me to distance myself from all that relates to her, to actually flee her."
0: Life in the convent was far more cloistered and austere than Jeanine anticipated. In a pre-Vatican II world, where Catholicism resisted modernization, friendships were actively discouraged and even penalized with physical punishment. After a short honeymoon period, she became disillusioned by the onslaught of manual labor, loneliness, and the constant begging required to fund the order's way of life. Despite her unhappiness, she decided to remain at the convent, seeing few other suitable lifestyle choices as an unmarried woman who was mostly estranged from her family. While at the convent, Janine often sang hymns to pass the time. In the years that followed, her superiors encouraged her to record music, to sell to visitors, and raise money for missionary work. Her songs were particularly useful to bring on foreign missions, as a means of spreading God's word throughout the world. On October 24th, 1961, she recorded Dominique at Philips Studio in Brussels. Four other sisters sang backup on that track. Engineers at the studio were so enamored with the charming novelty of the singing nun that they convinced the Fishermont convent to produce an entire album. After much test marketing, the studio executive settled on the name Soire Soiree, which translates to sister smile given her bubbly nature, but most referred to her simply as the singing nun. Given the religious nature of the music, the convent also preferred the pseudonym. Anonymity was of great importance given the order's modest and humble lifestyle. There was much financial gain to be mined from this arrangement the convent only received 3% of the royalties, which still provided sizable funding for a religious order, while the studio kept the rest. None of the money went directly to Janine. With the convent lawyer managing the money and mother superior Marie-Michelle managing her career, Janine was left with very little artistic or financial agency. Caught up in the excitement of the moment, she naively signed a contract stipulating that she would forfeit the Singing Nun name if she ever left the order. That decision would haunt her to her death. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. The song Dominique became an international sensation. It's sung entirely in French and it tells the story of Saint Dominic, a 13th century Spanish born priest and founder of the Dominican Order. The refrain loosely translates to Dominique, Nique, Nique, goes along very simply, traveling in poverty and singing on every road, in every place. He just talks about the Lord. He just talks about the Lord.
1: A flash from Dallas. Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he is dead.
0: Released in the wake of President John F. Kennedy's assassination, the song was a bomb for the nation. It couldn't have been more welcomed by a traumatized public. Janine's calming voice, paired with the soaring harmonies of four other sisters, provided an oral outlet to the national outpouring of grief after the loss of the country's first Catholic president. To this day, it's the only Belgian song to hit number one in America. The song was so popular that even Louie Louie, a song most everybody remembers today, failed to unseat it. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Janine went on to perform the song and a rendition of "Hallelujah" on The Ed Sullivan Show, filmed with her fellow sisters on location in Belgium.
1: Listen to Sister Sarir sing "Hallelujah."
0: Dominique was nominated for Record of the Year at the 1964 Grammy Awards and won Best Gospel or Other Religious Recording. In addition to recording in English, the nuns recorded versions in Dutch, German, Hebrew, Japanese. Korean, and Portuguese. It was an international sensation. It was also the second to last number one billboard song before the British invasion hit, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is widely marked as a turning point in music and youth culture. the Beatles were less than two months away from topping the charts. So, here we go. The release of Dominique also coincided with the meeting of the Second Vatican Council, an era in which the Catholic Church tried to update its image. Masses shifted from Latin to English, and several other efforts were made to try and retain followers in a rapidly modernizing time. The image of the happy-go-lucky nun, arguably an extension of a friendlier and more accessible church, would later infiltrate pop culture via the movies, like The Sound of Music, and TV shows, like The Flying Nun. One could argue that The Singing Nun paved the way. A few years later, in 1966, Debbie Reynolds portrayed Janine in a loosely autobiographical film entitled, you guessed it, The Singing Nun. It was an Oscar-nominated Hollywood musical. Janine disavowed it for its cheery and overly simplified take on her life, made glossy through the power of Hollywood. The growing fame took a toll on Janine. She found it almost impossible to live up to her image as a purveyor of joy and positivity, especially in the stifling convent environment. She was under constant pressure to represent the youthful face of Catholicism, which made it impossible to express any negative thoughts or emotions. There were also accusations that her manager Mother Superior Murray censored her lyrics. Janine left the church in 1966 amid spiritual disagreements and with profound dissatisfaction. The decades that followed were immensely difficult in regards to both her mental health and musical output. Janine's sexuality remained a constant source of conflict throughout this period, as evidenced in several of her journal entries.
1: People at my record company think two women who live together must be lesbians. I deny this rumor as I testified against every creepy spirit. The answer is still obvious that I am not homosexual. I am loyal and faithful to Annie, but that is a whole other love in the Lord. Anyone who cannot understand this can go to the devil.
0: Their relationship was a rare constant in Janine's life she self-medicated her undiagnosed mental disorders, abusing alcohol and drugs. Since Janine was banned from recording under the name Soire Soiree after she left her life as a nun, she used the stage name Luc Dominique and released two albums in 1967 and 1968. The first was a giant middle finger to the Catholic Church with a song that was an ode to birth control called Glory Be to God for the Golden Pill. Because of the controversial nature of the song, many protests followed, some led by the church that she just left. That ended in canceled tour dates and low sales for the album. It was also an easy target of mockery for those who were unwilling to accept contraceptive advice from an ex nun who was living with a woman. In the midst of inner turmoil, Janine so clearly wanted to shed her cheerful, wholesome image. But without the singing nun name and costume, the public was unwilling to accept Janine Decker's. Her 1966 song, Luc Dominique, explicitly describes the desire to distance herself from her alter ego. (laughs) The song ends with this refrain, translated into English. She is dead. Soir, soiree. She is dead. It was about time. I saw her soul soar through the clouds and into the setting sun. Given her poor record sales, Deckers hired a lawyer and resumed using her old moniker, the Singing Nun, causing a blow to her sense of self since she had a love hate relationship with that persona. And this is where her money woes begin. After pleading with the church to allow her to use her stage name, it was agreed upon under one condition. She couldn't hold the convent responsible for past or future expenses. She agreed, but with disastrous results. Janine received very little money for the smash hit Dominique since the church controlled only a sliver of the royalties to the song, and it directly led to Janine being responsible for six months of unpaid back taxes on the song. According to the Belgian government, By the late 1970s, she owed $100,000. That would be roughly $920,000 in today's money. According to one journal entry, upon receiving a letter from the tax collector, she wrote, I will not pay them.
1: I am thinking of feeling emotion and court and seeing the king. I don't know who else could release me from this mess.
0: This financial distress would follow her for the rest of her life, as she never repaid her debts, citing it as the convent's responsibility. Even when she earned a few measly royalties from her work after leaving the church, she remained very much under its sway. The rest of Janine's life was marked by poverty and she continued to struggle with severe undiagnosed mental illness. She kept going however, trying to do good. While still in Belgium, she assisted her partner Annie Pescher in opening a school for autistic students in 1974. But Janine continued to struggle with depression and addiction through the endeavor. She released a couple of recordings and concerts as a means to supplement their income. However, these few attempts were rarely profitable. Given their financial struggles, the school was forced to close down in 1982. One recording is of note. In 1982, Janine released a disco remix of Dominique, adding a kitschy gimmick to a song already dogged as a novelty hit. It failed to capture the attention of a public that had since moved on. The first time suicidal ideation appears in Janine's journal is in 1973. The mention's increase in regularity into the 1980s during a particularly bleak period of exacerbated legal woes and her declining mental and physical health. In a letter written by Annie in 1984, she pleads with a friend, writing,
1: She really is depressed. And no therapy helps her, as long as there is worry over the taxes. We cannot live this way anymore in this anguish, and survive from day to
0: day. In 1985, Janine and Annie died by suicide. Dominique does live on in the modern era, mostly through film and TV soundtracks. It was used in a scene in American Horror Story Asylum and in the period-appropriate Mad Men. In 2020, Pete Yorin wrote a lovely tribute song called Janine. But outside of these instances, the singing nun has essentially disappeared from American pop culture. Janine's greatest legacy might be found in her native Belgium, where the convent she once resided in has become a music school with a mission of spreading community and global peace through musical harmony. Its vision is very much in line with that of the singing nun and draws students of musical renown from all around the world. You can bet it will be performing her hit single at upcoming shows, at least according to the school's director, Hajit hasid Kerbel. Dominique's message of hope and solace lives on, even if Janine didn't find it in this
2: world. This episode was written and hosted by Jessica Gentile. Have you heard this one is brought to you by Nevermind Media. Our sound designer is Madeline McCormack. Anna McLean is our producer. Our editorial director is Courtney E. Smith. And our executive producer is Melissa Locker. Thanks to Stephanie Aguilar, Rachel Yanover, and Joyce Reiser for additional production support. Additional help from our cat and dog companions, Casey, Glory, Steve, Archer, and Winnie.